Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hey, I want to start this morning just by saying thank you. Uh, we just got back from two weeks of vacation as a family, and it was incredible. It was so, so good to be able to spend all that time together. Um, I, uh, I loved being able to, I tried to practice um, a vacation. I don't know if you're a parent and if you can uh, get stuck in this rut like me. I find myself saying no without understanding why I'm saying no. It's just kind of because I'm grumpy or I don't want to do it or I don't feel like it. So I practiced on vacation saying yes. If there wasn't a reason not to, uh, then yes. Dad, can we go to the beach? Yep, we went three times already, but we're going to go again. I would, and then it was good. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you just say yes to say, okay, let's go engage. Let's go dig some more holes and have the tide come and fill them in again. And let's dig some more and let's, let's jump in the pool. Dad, can we walk to the beach? It's nine at night. Yes. Like it was, it was just a good practice for me personally. And I loved our vacation. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I want to dry, uh, tell you a couple different stories from vacation that tie into the parable that we're going to get into this morning. Uh, the first is, um, I, the first is when we jump in the car um, and we have finally declared, "All right, vacation has begun. Vacation has arrived," and we're driving to North Carolina. We're driving to the Outer Banks. Now, what question is the first question out of the kids' mouths? Are we there yet? Yes, we're on vacation. No, that's not really what I'm asking, Dad. Like, are we there yet? Yes, we're on vacation. No, we're not yet fully arrived. And we won't be there for three days, so hang on. Okay? But has vacation begun? Yes. Are we there yet? Kind of. Not really. It's coming. Okay? We are living in the world of vacation, and yet even better is coming. Second, uh, when we came back from the Outer Banks, uh, Leslie's parents live on a farm in Ohio, and it's so good. We stopped there for a couple of days. It's so good to breathe um, just the, the wide open air and to be able to walk around and look at uh, cows and feed the horse. And one day I took a little walk across the street into the orchard with Micah, and I was uh, showing him berries to say, well, you want to eat uh, a blackberry or a black raspberry? He's like, yeah, I'll try that. He's like, oh, that was good. Oh, here's another one. They aren't really popping yet, but there's a couple of them that are here. Here's, and he loved that one. And they're like, oh, here's a berry. This is not a black raspberry. This is one that you should never eat. Should you eat that one? I want to eat that one, Dad. It's a berry. No, don't eat that one. You can eat this one because I'm giving it to you because I know what it is and I know it's good for you. This one is poison. Don't eat this one. How come there's poison berries, Dad? Good question. But let's figure out which one is which and divide and we can enjoy what's good and cast off what's not good. Both of those, both of those are kind of relevant today as we jump in. So we're in this summer series in the parables and looking into the stories that Jesus told to, um, to push us and to challenge us and to encourage us. And he used stories as a, 
a sneaky teaching delivery method to say, I want you to drop your defenses, I want to pull you into a story, and then I want to bring a point to you so that if you're really trying to learn, if you're really trying to figure out what I'm saying, it's there for you. And if you're not really all that interested, it's going to stay hidden. And Jesus was brilliant with this. We're going to jump into um, Matthew 13 and another one of the kingdom parables uh, this morning. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sower and the four different kinds of soil. This one uh, in Matthew follows that up. This is also one of the rare parables where we get Jesus' parable and then Jesus interprets the parable. So most parables don't have this. Most parables are just kind of laid out and it's up to us to figure out what's going on. With this one, Jesus actually says, here's this piece and this piece and this piece and here's what it means. And so we don't have to guess. We'll talk about that this morning. Um, But let's read, and then we'll pray. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, uh, the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. We'll talk about this and then we'll jump into his interpretation too. Father, I love that you want to be known. I love that you want to reveal yourself to us and that you give us your word. You give us the Bible so that as we open it up and as we desire to know you, you show yourself to us. I pray as you uh, repeated over and over, Jesus, that we would have ears to hear, that we would be looking for you, that we would humble ourselves uh, to recognize that no matter how far we have grown, there is more growing to do. Help us to learn from you this morning. Pierce us with what you have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes, sometimes in Jesus' parables... Jesus used settings that would have been common to people. Uh, He's looking out and he says, look at the birds, or he's, uh, look at the flowers, and he's talking about, like, they could actually look and see something. It's part of the reason I love being outdoors, uh, taking trips to Colorado and saying, I think this is God's best classroom because it's right here and you can just point to all kinds of things and uh, find teaching points, and Jesus does this. Sometimes he makes up... uh, settings that people would have said, okay, I can, I can recognize this. This is a world that I can enter into with your story. And he does that here. This is a parable like that. So he says, there's a man who has a field and he plants wheat. And uh, in the middle of the night, an enemy comes and he, he sows weeds. And this is, this is something that people were familiar enough with that the Romans had a law against it. The particular weed that they're talking about is not just kind of common weeds, like I'm going to go 
dump a whole bunch of whatever into a field. Most people think, or most scholars think, that this is a specific weed called darnel. And, and the reason that it's so evil is that as it's young, it looks almost identical to wheat. So it pops up out of the ground, and you cannot, even the, the most learned farmers can't really tell which is which, which is wheat and which is darnel, which is wheat and which is the weeds. And so they're coming up, and that's why in the parable it says, and so when the grain appeared, the weeds appeared also. It's not like they weren't there before, but they come to light. So um, do we have these pictures? Here's a picture. This is uh, the wheat on the left. I've got to figure that out. The wheat on the left and then the tares or the darnel on the right. And you can see that it looks fairly similar. And then only toward harvest does uh, this next piece. So I don't know if you can tell this, but the wheat has a golden tint to it and the darnel has a grayish tint. And so it's still not like... Um, Super obvious, but when you look at it, you can, you know, if it was coming down your way, you could say, okay, that's wheat and that's darnel, and I'm going to separate them. So now when they both produce the grain, the darnel is actually poisonous, and the wheat is good for food. And so they had better separate them at some point because we don't want people poisoned by our food. But the master gives this interesting instruction. He says, don't rip out the weeds because by the time... You see this, and by the time you can distinguish them enough, their roots had so intertwined that to pull up the darnel was to pull up the wheat with it. And so he said, we're going to have to let it grow. We're going to have to let it grow, but in the end, it will be separated out. In the end, it won't make it onto your plate. That's the parable. A man sows a field, an enemy comes and does this, and they're intertwined, and he says, wait. A day is coming when they will be separated. So if you really want to mess with somebody, you go plant darnel uh, in their wheat field. But what does it mean? Jesus actually, with this parable, tells us um, later on, uh, there's a break, and, and Matthew actually goes through a couple of different parables after this one, and then he comes back to it and he says, he went into the house with his disciples where they were staying, and to them, he kind of unpacked this parable. Say, you want to know what it means, and they ask him, and he said, okay, let's, let's do this together. Let me, let me walk through, and uh, it says this in Matthew 13, 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the, weeds, of the weeds in the field. And he answered them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all the lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus identifies parts of 
the parable. And he says, this stands for this, and this stands for this. Uh, and then he gives some commentary. Now, not every part had meaning. Sometimes we can make a mistake by trying to allegorize every part of a parable and say, well, this must mean this and this, and we get off track and we, we're at risk of missing the point. Jesus specifically identifies seven pieces in this parable, and the rest, he doesn't do anything. Like, they were helpful for the storytelling device, but then they didn't mean anything. Like, uh, so the workers fell asleep, and that's when the weeds got planted. Are they in trouble? Was it a bad thing? Or should they not have fallen asleep? Or was that just okay and that's just... The... Jesus doesn't make anything of that. So we won't. Jesus says, um, I, want you to, I want you to see these pieces. It even seems like the chronology, the timing of this, isn't totally important to Jesus. Like... The wheat got sowed first, and then the weeds got sowed, but then he starts talking about people, and like, so there were good people, and then evil people happened, and he doesn't really identify that. He doesn't really talk about that, but it, it's just, it, he's just trying to help us get to the main point. So he identifies these pieces. He says, the sower is the son of man. And, and before we jump off that, I want to stop right there. Because this ended up being probably the, the golden nugget of my study this week. You say, Jesus says, the sower is the son of man. And um, what I started to see, and, and what you can see also, is that um, over and over and over and over and over in Jesus' teaching, he starts to take Old Testament pictures that were used only for God, and he puts them on himself. So in the Old Testament, God is the sower. God is the sower. And in the Old Testament, God is a shepherd. And in the Old Testament, God is the director of the harvest. And in the Old Testament, God is the rock. And he's the groom. And he's the father. And he's the giver of forgiveness. And he's a vineyard owner. And he's Lord. And he's king. And at one point or another, Jesus starts to take these pictures. And he says, the God that you have worshipped. I'm claiming these pictures. And people will ask, where does Jesus actually claim to be God? And they want to cut and dry, are you fully God? Yes. And he doesn't give it to us in quite that simplistic of terms. But over and over and over, it's unmistakable when Jesus says, you have known God as sower, and I want you to know me as the sower. You've known God as your shepherd, and I want you to know me as your shepherd. You've known God as the, the one who can grant forgiveness, and I'm going to tell you that I can do that. And I love that because it exalts Jesus. It means we cannot make too big a deal of Jesus. That Jesus is the pinnacle of this parable. If we could just walk away from, with that to say, Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the one who plants good. Then, then that, would be, that would be enough. I love that. But he keeps going. He says, uh, he, he is the sower. And he says, the field is the world, which would be God so loves the world. This is all humankind. And people have made mistakes to say, I think he's talking about the church. 
I think he's talking about in, in the church, you've got wheat and you've got weeds. So you've got people who are truly Christians and you've got people who are posing. And at Judgment Day, it's going to get separated. And I think that's true, but that's not the point. Jesus says, the field is the world. So you look out and you see everybody. And maybe it goes beyond people. They say, this whole landscape, and people are, people are the crown of creation. This is the field that I'm talking about. And he says, the wheat are the children of the kingdom. The wheat are, the, we would call them Christians today. He says, the, the wheat are the people who are in God's kingdom, who are living in God's kingdom, who are experiencing the blessing of God's kingdom, and who are, who are following he says, the weeds are the children of the evil one. He says, the enemy is the devil. The devil is the one who sows destruction. The enemy is the one who plants seeds of poison. The enemy is the one that if, if you get tangled up with him, he will, he will kill you. He will cause you great pain. And then he talks about the harvest of the field as the end of the age. So we, we live today. And sometimes we can get stuck in thinking that today is all there is, or today is going to become tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and it's just going to go on like this forever. And Jesus says, at some point, this age ends. At some point, the world as we know it will cease. Because he's, he's telling a grand story. He's telling a story of people who he made and who he loved, who turned their back on him, and walked away, and the world was broken. Sin entered the world, and evil entered the world. And someday, someday, all of the evil gets washed away. And Jesus says, right now, in the field, there's an intermingling of good and evil. But someday, it won't be there. And then he uses this end-of-age analogy. He says, just as the weeds are separated and burned, there will be a judgment, and it will not be fun for those who side with evil. He says, for the children of Jesus' kingdom, he says, they will shine like the sun. So here's another word picture that I love, is that he has said, um, he said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus claims that picture of God is light. Even from the very beginning, God has been light. And then Jesus said, I'm, I'm the light of the world. And then he goes a step further and he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. But he uses this example of saying, nobody lights a lamp, this little oil lamp, and then you know, covers it with a bowl. But we want to we bring light to the whole house. So this is how the light starts, as this little bowl. He says, at the end of the age, the people in his kingdom look like what kind of light? Like the sun, it got blown up. And people are radiant, not, not in their own righteousness, but because of the light that he plants in them. And then it grows and grows and grows, and the darkness cannot overwhelm it. So what is the point? You know, what it's good to try and get at. What question is he actually addressing? So Jesus has started preaching Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, I'm bringing the kingdom. It's here now. 
You don't have to wait anymore. People had been living in oppression and people had been living under the evil Roman rule and they kept getting pounded and pounded and pounded and they were waiting for Messiah. They were waiting for their Savior, for their rescuer that God would send someday. And Jesus shows up and he says, the time is here. It has arrived. The kingdom is here. And they said, but what about evil? Why, how can you claim that your kingdom has arrived when there's so much evil left in the world? They were expecting Jesus to arrive on the scene and vanquish evil in one fell swoop. And that's the question I think that the parable gets at. How can Jesus' kingdom exist now and yet have so much evil in the world? You don't have, you don't have to look far. You see evil in the world, and you say, if God is on the throne, what is going on? And Jesus tells this parable, and he says, I want you to know, I want you to know that someday evil goes away. But right now, and he actually says, for the good of the field, for the, for the good of the wheat, as if to say, if evil just got erased right now, I don't know, maybe most of us get erased right now. And he's doing something. He's, he's calling us to grow under his care. Right now, this is a season of great grace and patience. And someday, the evil is vanquished. Vacation has begun, but we are not there yet, right? And it's this already, not yet kind of idea of what Jesus was bringing. So we look around at the world, and we see 49 innocent people get killed in Orlando. Or we see, we get news of a young man who sexually assaults a girl that he meets at a party. People knowingly or unknowingly use the color of their skin to put other people down. And we ask, God, if you're really in control, what is going on? Why won't you stop it? When will you call people to account? And he says, one day. One day all will be made right. One day, judgment is coming. And the parable ends. There's a whole lot more that Jesus taught. But in this parable, that's, that was kind of it. Yes, the kingdom is here. Yes, things are still messy. Yes, one day, one day, evil is kicked away. So what do we take from this? I think, first, this is a message of hope. That Jesus is telling this parable because he wants us to be hopeful. God is on his throne. Jesus is king. And there is a day coming when all will be made right. Evil doesn't have to cause us to lose hope. So hope, when we talk about it here, 
They say be hopeful. Hope, when it's talked about in the Bible, is much different than the hope that we uh, commonly throw around. Like, I, I hope I get a cabbage patch for Christmas. Okay? That's, this is wishful thinking, right? Hope, when it's used in the Bible, is an expectant, uh, this expectant hope of what is coming. To say, I am looking forward with a confident expectation of something that is not here yet, but is coming. And this is the hope that I think God is reaching out to us with, that we have a confident expectation. I'm confident of something coming. I'm confident that Jesus is coming back. I'm confident that God will renew all things. I'm confident that one day evil will no longer thrive. I'm, I hold on to this hope, and I don't do it just as wishful thinking, like I hope someday God does it. But I know someday God will do it. In the face of evil, we can be hopeful to say, where we are now is not the end of the story. Where we are now is not the end. One day, one day. But the second, I would, the second I would say would quickly follow it. Be hopeful, but the second I would say is be humble. Because most of us, when we read the parable, associate with the wheat automatically. And that shouldn't be automatic. There should be a deep soul question in us to say, well, which one am I? Because judgment is coming. And God is in the position where he can judge us rightfully and with justice. And evil one day will be vanquished. And if I am on the side of evil, it's not going to be fun for me. So I know that evil lives in me. I know that evil lives in you. We all have a sin problem. And if, if we don't figure out what to do with that, all of us camp out in the weeds we start as weeds. And somehow Jesus transforms us into something good. But that isn't an automatic. So if you're here this morning and you question which side am I on, I would, I would beg you to look to Jesus and his offer. Say, he came to rescue you. And he's not He's not going to do something that you don't want. But you, can go, you can go ahead and keep living in the darkness. And Jesus is holding out his hand to rescue you and to say, things don't have to stay the way they are. You can come to me, and though you don't deserve it, my grace will pour on you, and my love and my affection for you will come streaming out. I am crazy about you, but right now you are lost and you are far away. If you'll take my hand and you will start to live as a child of the kingdom, I can do great things in you. I can change your heart. I can change your DNA. I can turn you into something good so that at the end of the age when you stand before the judge, and you say, which side are you on? You say, I'm, I'm wheat only because of Jesus. 
I'm weak because of what he did in me. It's not automatic. So I would say be hopeful that one day evil will go away, that he will get rid of it. The second is be humble to say the evil that lurks within me, I have to be careful with that and I have to continually give that to Jesus. And the third is then be wholehearted. Be hopeful, be humble, be wholehearted. This is not something, Jesus sets out two kinds of people. There's no middle ground. He says you're either a child of the kingdom or you're a child of the enemy. And to live wholehearted means to go all in. To say, I want to keep receiving grace and I want to keep pouring it out. I want to grow in the way that I worship God. I want to grow in uh, who he is calling me to be. I don't ever want to stop. Like Tony said, you're either growing or you're dying. And I want to keep growing. I want to go all in. I want to give my whole heart to this. Jesus called himself the light of the world, and then he passed it on to his disciples, and he passes it on to us. So one of the things, one of the things that it means is as we live wholehearted in Christ, we start to look to other people and say, how can I shine God's light in their life? That doesn't mean how can I fix them, how can I show them that they're wrong, but how can I shine truth? How can I give love? How can I live the kind of life that Jesus called me to live? So I'm the light of the world, and you're the light of the world, and I want you to shine. Even if you have only a little light, let it flicker and ask God to make it grow. This parable doesn't give us instruction to fight evil, but... You can't look at the teaching of Jesus and say that he's soft on evil, that he's soft on sin. In different places, he tells us to go to battle. In Matthew 18, he talks about if somebody has sinned against you, you go to him so that the point is reconciliation, so that you can be brought back together. It's not hiding from sin. It's dealing with sin. In Micah, He tells us to do justice, which means if we see injustice, to live as a child in the kingdom is to to work against the injustice, to fight the injustice. So as we live in the light, we fight the darkness, we fight the evil. And though that isn't the main, that isn't the point of this parable, it's not giving us permission to be passive Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We'll close right here. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So as we're called to be hopeful, we're called to be humble, we're called to be wholehearted, and we walk wholeheartedly by imitating Jesus, by imitating one who gave himself for us. And so we give ourselves to him and we give ourselves to others. I think as we do that, we don't fear the judgment. We can help others not fear it too. So in in the face of evil that exists all over and painfully close today,
may we be hopeful. Holding fast to a confident expectation that one day Jesus will make all things right again. May we be humble. Not having a confidence in ourselves, but only in our Savior who removes our evil and sin from within us. And may we be wholehearted. Imitating the one who gave everything for us. May we live lives of love and justice. I think that's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Let's pray. Father, we don't often like to think of you as the judge. We avoid any kind of judgment. And you make it very clear that one day you will judge evil. That you will judge us you will judge the things that cause evil. And that is a good day coming because it means it means the world is made right again. Father, we long for that day. And at the same time, we pray we pray with great earnestness that you would cause us to be people who truly live in your kingdom our children in your kingdom and who invite others into it as well. May we rest in you, Jesus, and may we find great hope in you. We pray in your name. Amen.